This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts 28, the final uh, chapter of Acts as we, we finish our series in Acts today. Proverbs is next. We're going to spend six weeks in the book of Proverbs, and the, the title of that series is going to be called The Way of, of Wisdom, because Proverbs gives us wisdom about virtually every issue that we can think about in life. It's just sort of about the practical realities of life and kind of what the way of wisdom looks like, what the way of folly looks like. And, and so if, when we follow God's way of wisdom, he promises to direct our path. So we're going to be talking about that beginning next Sunday uh, for the next six weeks. We'll be, we'll be in Proverbs. But today we're going to finish up the book of Acts to, to Rome and Beyond is the title of the message today, and we're going to be walking through uh, all of this chapter this morning, so we're going to be reading it kind of as we, we go through the text. But make sure you've got your Bible open to Acts 28, uh, just so you can follow along as we do that. But let's pray together before we begin. Father, we, we thank you for this journey that we've been able to take together through the book of, of Acts. Thank you for the way that you've worked in all of our lives through it. And it's just a reminder that we are on mission with you. We're doing life with you. We're on a mission with you. And we pray that you'd be faithful to to help us to to do that, help us to be faithful uh, to do that until you return. Um, For as long as we have a breath or whenever you return, whichever uh, comes first, Lord, we want to be faithful uh, to be on mission with you. And so we pray that you speak to us today through the final chapter of Acts and prepare our hearts to to take part in the Lord's table at the end of the service. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the sweetest memories that I have as a, a dad is when my son Caleb was small and we would have just such a blast playing in the snow together. But when Caleb was a little guy, we lived in a house with a steep hill behind the house. And when, whenever it would snow, the, the two of us would just plunge down this hill. And at that point, the, the film Toy Story was all the rage. And so <laughs> Caleb and I would, would plunge down the hill and as we would slide down together. We would call out to one another the famous line from, Toy Story to infinity and beyond. Well, in the book of Acts, we have been moving for 27 chapters. The the action has been moving relentlessly to Rome and beyond. And so today in chapter 28, Paul is going to wind up in Rome. But even before that, there's going to be some incredible action on, on the island of uh, Malta. So we're going to go there first. Uh, the first thing that we see in this chapter is, is supernatural power and spiritual confusion. So, so let's look at it at the text beginning in verse 1. Luke says, After we were brought safely through, 
we then learned that the island was called Malta. So last week, we were in chapter 27. And if you were here, you you know chapter 27 was about this horrendous, terrifying storm that the ship was caught in at uh, sea. And so they were able to make it through that and they, they end up uh, here. This is uh, the island of uh, Malta. So you can see Malta uh, just uh, below uh, Sicily there. And you can see where eventually uh, they're going to end up in, in, in Rome. But, but Malta is the first place that they get to after the storm. And just imagine <laughs> what these guys looked like. I mean, can you imagine what they looked like after all that we saw in chapter 27? I mean, day after day after day, they are in this terrifying storm at sea. They haven't eaten in days, and they arrive on Malta. I mean, they must have looked like the cast of The Walking Dead, you know, just uh, death warmed over as they get to Malta. But God graciously puts some kind people in their path when they arrive. So let's look at verse 2. It says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire. And welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. So one of the things that missionaries look for when they arrive in a new place is what they often call people of peace. And these are people who might not know God yet, but God in his common grace has just given them a kindness. And, and, and he, maybe the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in their lives and just kind of prepare them for the gospel and that kind of a thing. And, and, and that's what he does here. They, 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 they find some, some kind uh, people and, and uh, they kindle a, a fire uh, for these, uh, uh, these uh, stragglers. But, but just as things look like <laughs> they're going to begin to sort of uh, settle down, uh, something uh, stunning uh, happens just out of uh, nowhere. There's a, there's a famous uh, Humphrey Bogart movie called The Maltese Falcon. <laughs> well, we're about to meet the, the Maltese snake here, beginning in verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, first of all, before we talk about the snake, notice the servant spirit of Paul here. I mean, these guys have, have literally, I mean, they've just gotten off of this sh- ship. They're just, uh, you know, uh, you can't imagine what this must have, have been like, you know, what they look like, and they were desperately in need of, of food and warmth and all that. Paul, in his, in, in his servant spirit, is... Uh, is helping to gather sticks for this fire. It's a, it's a great testimony to his character and to uh, his, his servanthood. Um, and then out of nowhere comes this snake slithering out of the fire. You know, people who have been bitten by snakes say that, I mean, it, it just literally, it, it, it comes out of nowhere. I guess by its very nature, I mean, if you knew the snake was coming, you, you, you'd get out of the way. And so it's just kind of a shocking thing when it, when it happens, and this is a vicious bite. I mean, the snake, we're told, was literally just fastened to his hand and, and hanging from his hand. Well, these Maltese people who were just very spiritually 
confused anyway. When they see this snake hanging from Paul's hand, I mean, they are just absolutely freaked out. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now you notice here that Luke capitalizes the word justice in verse 4. And the reason he does that is because to to these people on, on Malta, Justice is not what we think about as, you know, just fair play, that that kind of a thing. To them, uh, justice was a goddess, and so he capitalized it. Justice was uh, the the goddess of revenge. She was the daughter of, of Zeus and Phoebus, and she was like an avenging goddess, and so when, when someone would do something wrong, uh, they, they need to fear because uh, the goddess justice, this avenging goddess, would be out to, to get them. And since this terrible thing has happened to Paul, and he's got a snake uh, hanging from his hand, uh, they assume this guy must have really done something terrible. And perhaps he's a, a, a murderer. Justice is certainly after him. But what happens? Verses 5 and 6. He, however shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. (laughs) And so, you know, Luke here um, no doubt intends for there to be an, an element of humor, but... I mean, it's one of those things where you don't know whether to, to laugh or cry because, you know, these people are so spiritually confused. And, and, and this is the way that much of the world lives. They live in constant fear of, of, of gods, goddesses, evil spirits taking some sort of retribution on them, their life is like a constant treadmill of trying to appease the, the gods or, or appease the spirits or living in fear of them. And of course, our calling is to share the truth and share the gospel about the true God who can set them free from, from that kind the fear of, of capricious uh, gods. Now, speaking of the, of the gospel, What happens here with the snake reminds us of the first promise of the gospel that we see in the Bible. Because what happens in the book of Genesis, after Satan, personified as a snake, does his absolute worst to humanity, what happens? God comes to Satan. God comes to the the snake um, and he says this in Genesis 3 and verse 15. God says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, after Satan does his absolute worst, after the snake does his absolute worst to human beings in Genesis God comes to him and he says, okay, you've given it your best shot. You've done your at, the absolute worst thing that you can do to human beings. But here's what's going to happen. 
another human being is going to come one day. The God-man is going to come. And, and you're going to do your worst to him too. And you're going to bruise him on a cross. But he's going to crush you in the process. Because on the cross and in his resurrection, he is going to defeat sin and death. And so this is the first real promise, really, of the gospel in Scripture. In the third chapter of Genesis, is God promises to overcome the snake. And, and, and God overcomes a, a snake here as well. Uh, take a look at what happens in, in verse 7. Luke tells us, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man on, of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So we've seen throughout the book of Acts that Paul was very savvy about cultivating relationships with leaders wherever he went. And he does that here, and, and, and God not only opens the door to a friendship with Publius, but he also opens the door for incredible ministry and compassion to Publius. Because what happens in verse 8 it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. So imagine the impact of this. The, 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 imagine the impact that this would have on the people of, of all of uh, the whole island of Malta. And we see it in verses 9 and 10. Look at it. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were, were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So this brief layover in Malta has just resulted in incredible life change and a foothold for the gospel on this island. Now, there's an application for us here. Obviously, Paul's ultimate destination was not Malta. It was Rome. Malta was just a place where they were, a layover, a place where they were stopping on, on the way to Rome. But Paul makes the most of every opportunity wherever he is. I've been blessed to pastor two churches with lots of military families, this church and one other. And one of the many things that I love about military families is that they don't wait to get involved. They don't wait to serve. They know they may be someplace, you know, 18 months, three years or whatever. And they say, hey, we're going to go ahead and get involved. We're going to serve. We're going to be immediately begin to make a difference. And, and they make an incredible difference. So even if they're only um, at a church for, you know, a, a brief amount of time. And there's an application there for all of us. Because in a way, all of us are moving somewhere because this earth is not our home. We're only passing through. And so we get one brief window of time to make a difference. And the sands of the hourglass are passing through. Days are passing. People are perishing. And God's going to hold us accountable for the way that we used our time in this life. Did we take advantage of the opportunity 
that he gave us. We're to be stewards of our time. So we see here on Malta, supernatural power and spiritual confusion. And then, secondly, in chapter 28, Rome at last. Let's look at uh, beginning in verse 11. Luke says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, again, this shows you the spiritual confusion of the area. The, the, the twin gods were carved into this ship, and they were Castor and Pollux. These are the, the sons of Zeus that were supposed to protect people on the sea. But of course, we saw last week in chapter 27 um, who the real protector is in storms at sea and in storms of, of life, and that's the one true God. Verses 12 and, and following, he says, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petuliae, and there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. Now, these last six words in verse 14 is like the climactic moment of the book of Acts. And so we came to Rome. It's all been headed here. And what a greeting they get when they arrive. Verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and, and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took, took courage. What a sweet welcome they get from these, uh, from the, these followers of Jesus in Rome. You know, a couple of years before this, uh, Paul had written to them the book of Romans. And, and, and notice what he says in the first chapter of, of Romans. Paul says there in verses 11 and following, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul had written that to them a couple years before. Well, now he is prevented no longer. <laughs> He, he is in Rome, and there is going to be a harvest in Rome. Look at verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So the deal was, during his Roman imprisonment, the Roman soldiers would sort of take rotating shifts in guarding Paul. So he got to know these Guys, and you know, what do you think Paul talked about when he got to know people, right? He talked about Jesus. Uh, and, and then in verses 30 and 31, at the end of the chapter, Luke says, He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul's sort of under house arrest. He's going to have Roman soldiers that are, are going to be uh, guarding him, uh, but people can come and go. And so he's in the capital city of the Roman Empire. So the Caesar is there. All of the Caesar's administration and court, all the government apparatus of Rome, it's all right there. And so during his Roman imprisonment, these people were coming and going. 
And Paul had freedom. Even though he's sort of under house arrest, he's got freedom to, to boldly proclaim the, the gospel. And so what was happening in the lives of these people in Rome? He gives us a hint of it at the end of the book of Philippians, which was written during his Roman imprisonment. Notice what Paul says here in Philippians 4 and verse 22. At the end of the book of Philippians, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that cool? So what was happening was that during his time, this Roman imprisonment, Uh, Paul's proclaiming the gospel, and these people who are attached to Caesar, who are a part of his court, a part of his government, they're coming to understand that the world's true king is really not Caesar. It's, It's a crucified and resurrected Jew. Pretty amazing. Rome at last. Third, the mission continues the mission continues. Uh, let's look at verses 17 and, and following. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it has been spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others doubted. So, just as he does in in every city, Paul wants to meet with his fellow Jewish people first, and he does that here in in Rome, and he can't go to the synagogue, but they can come to him, and so uh, he wants to, he gathers all these Jewish leaders together, and he wants to build good relationships with them, and and he shares with them the gospel. And so the results are just like they are everywhere that Paul shares the gospel. They're mixed. And that's like it is when we share the gospel, right? Some receive the gospel, some do not receive the gospel, but, you know, we don't control uh, the results. We just want to proclaim the gospel to everybody and give them the opportunity to respond. We can't control how they respond, but we want the gospel to get to everyone. We want them to have the opportunity to, uh, to respond. Um, look at verses 25 and, and, and following. Speaking of taking the gospel to everybody, right? It says in verse 25 and following, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, 
You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. So Paul here in in verses 26 and 27 is quoting from Isaiah 6. It's Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Now, most of us have heard about Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. That's the great vision that Isaiah has of the Lord and he's high and lifted up and seated on the throne, the train of his robe, fill the temple. And then God says to him, uh, 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 whom shall I send and who will go for us? And of course, Isaiah says, here am I, send me in verse eight. But we stop there and we don't get to verses nine and 10. Paul here is quoting from verses nine and 10. Jesus in all four gospels quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and, and, and 10. So these verses are about the fact that, that after the prophet says, Lord, here, here am I, send me, God is telling him what kind of response that he's going to get. And he's saying to Isaiah, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who, who do not listen to you. Um, and so, both Jesus and Paul quote these verses because both Jesus and Paul, as Jews, are heartbroken by Jewish rejection of a Jewish Messiah. And so, Paul does what Jesus did. He goes to the outsiders. He goes to the broken people, the confused people, the the morally and spiritually messed up people. He goes to the outcast. He goes to Gentiles. It says, therefore, I'll go to the Gentiles and, and they will listen. Now, there's a great irony here. And it's this. And Paul talks about it in the 11th chapter of Romans. The irony is that Jewish rejection of Jesus sort of opens the door to Gentiles. But then what's going to happen eventually is that uh, Gentile reception of, of the gospel is going to stimulate Jewish people to once again come to their Messiah. And here's a beautiful thing. That's already beginning to happen. I mean, it's happening in, especially in Israel. I mean, in, in numbers that are, there are more Jewish people coming to know Jesus today than there have been in the, the whole 2,000 plus years of church history. It's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and see, 
I believe that is, is paving the way for the return of the king. It's spine tingling, you know, to, to think about this stuff. But until he comes, he's given us a mission. And, and see, Acts, Acts doesn't end with sort of like a neat little bow tied around it, doesn't it? It, 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 it doesn't, it kind of, you know, if you were to put, in, if, if you were to say, how does Acts end? It, it doesn't, it's not like it doesn't say the words at the, the end. It's almost like it ends in a way that it's saying to be continued. Because Acts 29 and beyond are fulfilled in us as followers of Jesus. The mission goes on until the king returns. And he invites you and me to be part of it. You know, often in our culture today, I mean, I hear people talk about, you know, I'm gonna, I wanna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let God be a part of my life. No, 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 no it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's not that we invite God and, you know, he gets to be a bit, have a bit part in our life. No, God invites us to be a part of his life. God invites us into his story. And we get to be a part of what he is doing in this world. His, his plan is to, is to use each one of us as his agents in this confused, sad, mixed up, hurting, broken world. We have a job to do. We have a mission to do, right? And that's to shine forth his light and his love until he comes. As we're gonna talk about in a moment, as we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim his death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for um, the book of Acts. Thanks for being able to walk through this together as a church family. Thank you for um, the way that you've, you've worked in all of our lives. I know you've worked in my life just so much, just, uh, just walking through this, uh, this book of Scripture. And we, we pray that you would make us faithful uh, to, to stay on mission with you. And, and, and now as we prepare to, to take part in the, the supper that you ordained, uh, it draws us back really to what it's all about, to, to an old rugged cross, to an empty tomb. And so we pray that you would help us to, as we meditate on, on your love that you've shown to us in the gospel, uh, we pray that you would, would work in our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. 
but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.